0: Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his deeds of power had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and in ashes. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will, be, will you be exalted in heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus said, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
1: You. God. Thank you, John. You join with me in a brief word of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we ask you to move now within our hearts and minds beyond what has been planned and scripted, and more to what is needed and offered by you. Let us hear your message, however it may come. Let us feel your presence in whatever moment we may be in this worship, so that when we arise from this worship, we will be those who've been renewed, who've been guided, who've been blessed with a thread of grace. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So I'm back now after two weeks spent with family down in North Carolina. The first week we were gone, Laura and I were in a beach house with both daughters, both son-in-laws, and four grandchildren. It was, to say the least, glorious. The last week, we were in North Carolina in Fayetteville with Laura's family, got a chance to spend time with her sister and her husband, Paul, my brother-in-law, with whom I actually I'm a very, very, very close friend and brother, and uh, her dad, which was a very special time. And so we're coming back from North Carolina, having played golf, uh, having spent hours in the pool throwing grandchildren hither and yon, staying up late and playing Uno and eating barbecue. Praise God, it was a great vacation. And I have come back filled with energy and peace that I haven't had for some time. I come back aware of the fact that indeed what I preach to you I need to once in a while listen to, which is we need rest and we need renewal. And then I come back today wanting, excited because Megan's here and a little nervous because it's the first time Megan has seen me preach in person. You know, those first impressions are a big deal. How am I doing so far? Okay, good. And, uh, you know, I want to I get this right. I'm excited, and I come to the passage that's been selected for today, and I get a grumpy Jesus. I can't tell you how le- down I was on Wednesday when I was looking at this passage going, are you kidding me? I wanted a happy Jesus. I wanted a loving Jesus. I want a, oh, let's feel good about life, Jesus. And I come to this passage in Matthew and Jesus is sitting around saying to all these various cities he's been in, you know, you're all basically going to hell. That's what he's saying. I mean, that's what it says. Really? Phyllis Tribble, who's a, a theologian, uh, caused some passages in the Bible, texts of terror, where the plot lines and actions of the characters in it offer no apparent redeeming value. They are often passages that preachers never preach, and we never have them in our Sunday school classes, those texts of terror. Well, I call passages like the one in front of us today, passages of yuck. They're just yuck. I just, oh, do I have to deal with a grumpy Jesus? Who wants a grumpy Jesus? Don't you want to come today and just feel better about yourself and feel good and feel happy and... You don't come here to hear about grumpiness. But what if Jesus, as I struggled with this passage, and it struggled with me, what if Jesus isn't what I always want Jesus to be, which is this perfect role model of what my life should look like on a perfect day. What if Jesus came into the world to reveal truth, to reflect what's actually real? to reflect how God works in the midst of what's actually real, which means that at times God has to work with grumpy people. Amen? Oh, you guys are not listening. (laughs) Or you're not seeing what I'm seeing. God works with grumpy people. Yeah. You know it's right. Jeff, you should take comfort in that. As Connie tells me, I'm just saying what she said. I don't know what to tell you. Because real life means that people get grumpy. And there might be a tendency to think that when we get in that grumpy place that God's not doing anything with us, that God is sort of stepped away, like we all wish we could from the grumpy people in our life, until they get their act back together again. But that's not what happens here. What makes Jesus so grumpy in this passage was my question. So I went and did the research. Well, why is he upset about Chorazin and Bethsaida? Why why would we be talking about Capernaum this way? You see, he had just been through those places. And while he was there, the story of Matthew tells us, he did healings and miracles. He taught messages of hope and peace and joy. He did all of these things in the midst of those people. And you know what the response was? Eh. They were busy with their lives. They were doing their ordinary stuff. And they weren't paying any attention to the things that God was doing in their midst through Christ. Now, they hadn't done it with John the Baptist either. That's what the passage tells us. John the Baptist came and completely the opposite of Jesus. He's an aesthetic. aesthetic. I mean, that is to say he... You know, he was stern and, and he did things by the book and, you know, he wore weird clothing and he's one of those religious people that was looked odd because he wanted to be odd. And they didn't want to follow him either. They didn't want to do anything with him. In fact, their apathy towards him helped lead to his death. Now, Jesus comes along, and he shows love, he shows grace, he accepts people, he goes to parties, he hangs out with all kinds of people, he's called a glutton and a partier, and they don't respond to him either. And Jesus is living his life looking at what's going on around him, what the stakes are, what's happening, and he's frustrated, he's upset. I mean, come on, you guys. You're just living your ordinary lives, and God is doing these things. Do you not see what's happening? Do you not understand the power that it takes to heal people? Do you not see the miracles in your midst? And you're just sitting there, and you're acting like, yeah, so what? What's next? What's the next act? What else you got? Yeah, he was frustrated. A frustrated Jesus. A grumpy Jesus. Maybe because Jesus wanted us to understand that in the moments of our grumpiness, God has not left. And maybe I also have to confess the fact that one of the reasons I really didn't like this passage on Wednesday was this. It wasn't because Jesus was grumpy. It's because Jesus was revealing me. Because Jesus was helping me to see that sometimes I sit in the middle of what God is doing and act like, yeah, so what? I see God touching people's lives. I see people in this room I'm looking at right now who have literally and right now are experiencing miracles of God's grace. And I can get so grumpy about stupid stuff. Amen? I get upset about the things that ultimately don't matter and I ignore what God is doing. That's what I don't like about this passage. It's calling me out. Calling you out? Are any of you sitting back acting like, "Yes, yeah, so what, when God is doing things in your midst? And so I struggled with this passage and it almost always inevitably ends up that the passage struggles with me. And I could have left frustrated about this passage. In fact, I even looked for other passages to preach. I kept being drawn back to this one. Because of a threat of grace... any time I read scripture that I just don't want to read anymore. And there are passages of scriptures that there's nothing redemptive happening. There are passages of scriptures where God doesn't even look good. Have you read some of those? And we read them and it's agony. And quite frankly, the truth is most of us don't even read them. We throw some pages until we get to the good stuff again. But even through those pages, even when we can't see them, there are threads of grace. You know, a flood that destroys all creation ends up in a rainbow. An act of betrayal and unfaithfulness ends up being a faithful new covenant. Death ends up a thread of grace towards resurrection. And in this passage... Grumpy Jesus shifts. Because what he says is, I don't really come here to be grumpy. And almost in such a radical transformation of mood and voice, he goes from being grumpy to saying this. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying a heavy burden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus quits being grumpy. Because as we expose ourselves to God, that's what happens. He says, I'm not really coming here to throw a bunch of woes out there on a bunch of people. I came here to offer grace and peace and hope. And yes, I got grumpy. but my mission is peace and rest and transformation. That's who Jesus is. And if you're willing willing to stay through the Scriptures, you see that thread of grace taking you to one who offers that by the very offering of his life, both in the story of Easter, but also in this very moment. Do you know how much God is doing in your midst right now? The answer is no, you don't. Because there's no way you can keep adding it up. But it continues to overwhelm. So we got back, when did we come home? Monday night, around 10 o'clock at night. And and you know that Arm, you heard about this, Adult Righteous Mission, already had done some work in our property. So, of course, we wanted to see it, but it's 10 o'clock at night. So we saw it the best we could. And then the next morning, we went out, you know, with that fine comb, to, that tooth comb, to just, you know, really inspect, to see what you all did. Well, let me tell you what you did. You offered a thread of grace. Now I could talk to you about how the backyard looks better and how I've already sat every night since I've been home on my new pretty deck and looked at my new pretty yard. And I can talk to you about the transformation you made of our property. I can talk to you about the transformation you made right across the road here and how the community sees that different now because of the landscaping and how that garage will service us. And I had been up in the children's wing, and I saw all the painting you did. Each one of those strokes, each rock that got moved, each weed that got pulled, each plant that got planted, each moment of that was a thread of grace. because it's people acting in love to service of Christ. And if you don't think it fed Laura and I when we came back, then you don't understand. And if you don't think it was a wonderful way for Megan to be introduced to this church before she could even unpack her first box to see the members of this church climbing around on her roof because they care enough to not let her and Joel be leaked on, that's a theological message. It's a gift of grace. I wasn't here for Vacation Bible School this year. And part of me was so glad I wasn't here for Vacation Bible School this year. (laughs) But I am so glad to have come back and start to hear some of the stories. And to have children excited to be in the sanctuary singing and praising and being silly and doing all kinds of weird things. And I'm so thrilled begin to hear how those moments have already started to impact the families who came. You understand, you're sitting in a place, right now where you're seated, there's a likely good chance you had children sitting in that same spot a week ago whose lives were changed because you're here today. Do you not understand? This morning at 5.55, our high school youth and the adults who are going with them headed out of this parking lot to go down to West Virginia to do, you know, those youth mission trips they do every year. Those youth mission trips that build relationship and memories that last forever. Those youth mission trips that instill in those who go the assumption that to be Christian means you're supposed to care about those whom you don't even know and work hard from those you'll never see again because that's a holy thing. In each one of those moments, there are threads of grace. It is my prayer for you, and it is my prayer for me, that today we will not make Jesus grumpy by being oblivious to the works of God in our midst, to what Jesus is doing here and now, in you and through you and around you and with others. And it is my deepest prayer That you and I will become those who help others see a thread of grace in the moments of their life when it's falling apart, when they're sad, when they're grieving, when they're scared, when they're sick, and when they are just grumpy. Because you and I can be revealers of that thread because we have had it been revealed to us. It's good to be back. And it's great to watch the tapestry continue to be built. Thanks be to God for you and for the threads of grace you are.